0: For listening to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions, I'm Stacey Orstano.
1: And I'm Derek Phillips.
0: And welcome to our third audience participation episode.
1: If you haven't already, please go check out our brand new website at www.cleareyesfullheartspod.com. Once again, that's Clear Eyes fullheartspod.com.
0: Visit the site, check out our merch store. There's hats, shirts, coffee mugs, stickers, hoodies, and just some general information about the show.
1: So we've asked you to send questions to our email address, FullheartsPod at gmail.com, and you sent some great ones. So let's dive in. And you're going to like this first question that we've got, Stacey.
0: Oh, am I?
1: Yes. Our first question comes from Goody Goodrich, who says, I just want to give my thoughts on voodoo. Stacey, oh what the hell are you thinking? That character is by far the worst piece of crap ever. This is not my words. This is from Goody Goodrich. He says, I absolutely hate that character. I'm curious what you like about the guy. There's literally nothing likable about the voodoo (laughs) character. Uh, Apparently, Goody Goodrich, he's not a big fan of Stacey Stace Rich.
0: Okay, Goody. Goody, it's just me and you talking right now. Welcome. Welcome (laughs) to the podcast. Listen, I've gotten this from quite a few people since we started the podcast. And here's, Here's what I'm going to lay down. I've said it before, but the circumstances of Ray Tatum, just as a kid, he gets completely displaced from his home, his family, his school, his friends. He loses everything he knows. He goes to a state in a city he's never been in before that in and of itself is terrifying. And he just wants to play football. Like, yes, he comes onto a team and he has a bit of attitude and there are things that, that are hard, but his life already so so far has been hard and all he wants to do is get home. So we, because we have fallen so in love with our family and our and our Dylan family, we look at him as a villain. But riddle me this, Derek, all he does is come on to this football team and have a little bit of attitude, but backs it up with a lot of talent. And now let's look at Tim Riggins, who watched his best friend get paralyzed, didn't go see him in the hospital for six weeks, and then slept with his best friend's girlfriend. And we're calling Voodoo the villain of this story? I am—I I have questions.
1: I hear where you're coming from. I hear where you're coming from. And, and it does bring up an interesting point that perspective is everything, and that before we're too judgmental of another person, we should walk a, a mile in their shoes— I love, one of the things I love about you in general, Stacey, is that you just have empathy for people. And I think that that in and of itself is an awesome thing. Aww. That doesn't mean we're going to ever agree on the voodoo situation, but that's yeah, true. But, but it's also, yeah, look, I mean, as actors and, and people in this business, I understand and you understand that voodoo is basically a device. He's set up to be a, an antagonistic character. But I love that you take it from the perspective of actually voodoo has a backstory too. And that's wonderful also. I think that I think that if, if more people did that in the world, the world would be a lot better place because we would stop being so judgmental of each other. And we'd say, hey, you know, this voodoo guy actually does come from a place and this is probably why he acts the, reason, the way he does. Maybe if we took a little time to get to know voodoo and have a conversation with him, maybe he'd be a little bit nicer guy.
0: If this TV show was called Voodoo and it was <laughs> about him and from the viewpoint of him, and we saw a character like Tim Riggins and the trash that he was doing, he would be such a villain in that story and he would be a bad guy. I'm going I'm to have
1: to stop you right there if you're going to keep talking about Tim Riggins like he's trash. That's my brother here. I got to defend him.
0: He did some trash.
1: He has done some trashy things. All of us have done some trashy things. I hear where you're coming from. I disagree with you. Now, I'd love to know Voodoo's side of the story, but from my perspective, he just comes across as a crappy dude. Anyway, I'm done talking about Voodoo.
0: For now. For now?
1: No. We'll talk about him in the state championship game when that happens. Yay. And that's that's the last time I want to hear voodoo talked about on this show or in, oh. in, in, in private, anywhere. No more voodoo.
0: Laying down laws. <laughs> okay, then here we go. Second question. Here we go. From Helen Phillips, who asks, if you could play any other character on the show, who would you choose and why? I guess I know who I can't say. (laughs) I,
1: I always loved Coach. I always thought it would be cool to be Coach. One of the things that was kind of funny when in later seasons is that Billy was always getting into some kind of shenanigans and doing something stupid, and he was always kind of comic relief in later seasons. And I remember there was one time I was doing a scene, and Kyle Chandler was like, man, he goes, I wish I could do some of the stuff that you get to do on this show. And I was like, are you out of your mind? I'm like, you get to play the coach. I mean, that's you're always cool. You always have the right advice. And he goes, yeah, but it gets old always having the right answers. And it gets old always having to be the straight man. And that's not to say that Kyle didn't enjoy his time, but I can understand that as well. There's a thing that happens when you're on a show for long enough. Like, you get to a point where you're like, I just want to not have to play the comic relief all the time. You know, I'd like to do a scene where I'm not wearing a banana hammock and doing the haka. (laughs) I'd like someone to take me seriously, off-set, on-set, anywhere in life. And everyone took Coach seriously. Even when you went out to drinks with, with Coach, it was still, it was an air of, it was Coach. I wanted to be looked at and respected. <laughs> I may never get that in my career.
0: No, maybe, on, your, maybe <laughs> on this new show you're doing, it'll be, we don't know yet. No, nah, I don't hope. think so. Nah, probably not.
1: I, I've got a pretty good idea that it's not gonna. It's not gonna go that way.
0: I did an episode of CSI and talked to a lot of the actors on there because I was especially brought on this episode that I did on that show to be super comic relief. It was like a ridiculous storyline where I killed a girl with a pork chop bone during a food fight. So like <laughs> it was stupid funny. And talking to some of the actors, especially if you're doing a procedural where their only job is to be very serious and to gather information and to give information. And so then they watch these guest actors come on and the guest actors get to chew up scenery and play these ridiculous things. And they're like, oh, I want to do that. I'm so tired of 12 years of being the same scientist or whatever. I would say because of the same thing, I'm always a little bit ridiculous and quirky. I want to do a, a Tim Riggins. I want to be quiet and brooding and intimidating. And uh, there's nothing about me that is any of those things. So I don't think I'll ever get to play it.
1: No, but it's, it's the age old thing. Every actor's this way. It's like every leading man wants to be a character actor and every character actor wants to be a leading man. Anyway, next question. That's a yep. great question though. Thank you. Helen. Good. Helen Phillips, who is no relation to me. This is our third question. This is from Kyle from Arizona and he writes what storyline or twist shocked you the most it could be either good or bad and he says mine was when Matt's dad died he says he cried like a little baby
0: there's a straight up murder in our show that we talk about for two episodes and then never talk about again we straight up murdered somebody that was a big
1: twist yeah the
0: thing that happened
1: before we would shoot scenes kitchen I would always go hey you know that Landry guy and I go yeah and he go he killed a dude and action.
0: Or even when Jesse was there and he'd be like, who? Hey, mo- hey, remember when you killed that guy? We sure you don't talk about that. that.
1: That was one of the twists on the show. Here's one that's not so much a twist, but just a moment that like, I was surprised when I found out that they were actually going to do this. And that's when after season three, they basically wrote off a lot of our series regulars and brought on yeah. a lot of new actors, changed high schools. Like that was a big twist and that was a big, I've seen a lot of shows attempt that. And I've seen a lot of shows fail at that. Like when Different Strokes brought in Danny Cooksey to take over.
0: Can't believe you remember his name.
1: (laughs) How could you forget Danny Cooksey? Come on. But they brought in, what's his name? Gary Coleman had been getting a little bit older and he was no longer the cute little boy anymore. So they brought on Danny Cooksey, who was this cute little redhead Southern kid. And it just, Different Strokes kind of went the way of the dodo at that point in time that they definitely jumped the shark. Yeah, it's it's very rare that a show makes that big of a transition and it's still relevant and it's still good. And that was one of those moments when they brought on Michael B. Jordan and Matt Lauria and Madison Burge. And Journey Smollett was also part of that group that came in.
0: Think about the weight of, of like a of like a Michael B or a Matt Lauria coming into a show where these characters were so loved. God, that's pressure. I can't wait to get yeah. to those seasons so we can talk to them about it. But I have like heart palpitations thinking about the pressure of that and like keeping the show up to the standard that it's always been. That was yeah. a big. That was brave of the writers, though.
1: Yeah, that was a big, a big twist, and, and I thought our writers pulled it off just spectacularly. Those guys were nervous. I remember we all had like a big dinner when they came on the show, where Pete Berg was. Pete Burt came back, directed that next episode with, with all the newbies, basically. And we had this big dinner where essentially it was, we're handing you the torch here. Don't drop it. Don't F it up. Don't screw it up. Oh. So they were under a lot of pressure. But I remember all of us being under a lot of pressure to, to try and make that work. And I remember being nervous, thinking, is this going to work? Is it? I mean, we just changed high schools. We've gotten rid of all these characters that yeah. we've loved and loved for years. I remember there was an episode with Michael B. Jordan, and there was a scene with him and his mom, Angela Rona. And I remember breaking down crying in that scene and going, oh, yeah, they got me. It's working. And at that point on, I was... Damn, yeah, damn you, Friday, Friday Night, night lights. lights. I'm caring about this character that I didn't have any emotional attachment to. In his first episode, now I'm I'm fully invested. And at that point, it was like, yeah, good work, Jason Kadams. Yeah,
0: and people stopped wearing Panther shirts and started wearing yeah. Lion shirts. And we're like, ha ha, we got yeah. all you suckers.
1: It was a merchandising coup for NBC. I'm kidding. Congratulations. <laughs> How do we sell more hats and t-shirts?
0: Make a new team. And then also, like, us getting married was a fun twist. Like, finding that out. That was a fun twist. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't hate him. Come on. That's new. I mean, men today, not you. Noah Gronger. Is asking why do you? I don't even know if I this. Why do you think the ages of the characters seem to change so much during the series? In season one, it was clear that Tim, Lila, Tyra, and Jason were supposed to be seniors, while Smash was a junior and Matt, Julie, sophomores. Ooh, that. I mean, is that true? Was this due to the uncertainty that a season two would take place? I would say definitely, maybe to start. And that this happens in a lot of shows where it's high school aged kids too.
1: Yeah, it happens in a lot of shows where it's high school age kids. But I think the big thing, honest to God, is just the fact that the show went five seasons. You got these characters that you love. How do you keep them around? So they had to, to move those ages around and all that stuff. I said to Stacy very early on when Stacey hadn't seen the show that if you're going to you can't get caught up in how old these kids are, It'll, you just kind of have to accept it and move with it. But yeah, it, it can be a little distracting.
0: But we have to suspend our disbelief and just go with the characters yeah. that we love.
1: Part of it is, is it happened because of the previous question where we were talking about all these new characters being brought on the show. Yeah, their, their ages bounce around a lot. I, I think all of us put up with it just so we can have Matt and Julie around for another two years or whatever. But at the end of the day, it is one of the few shows where they actually did graduate and they did go off. They didn't all go to the same college. The coach didn't wind up at the same college with them. <laughs> like a lot of shows have done.
0: No Saved by the Bell, the college years. No Saved by the
1: Bell, the college years. (laughs) No uh, Peach Pit After Dark. That was? was 90210, the Peach Pit After Dark. You don't remember that? Yes. I'm bringing up all the oldies. Danny Cooksey, Peach Pit After Dark.
0: You're sometimes, Derek, I want to, I want to crack open your head and look into your brain because it is filled with like trivial yes. knowledge.
1: There's nothing of any relevance in there. Or nuggets. Nothing good.
0: No, but I, I would take you to like a, a pub quiz night with me, especially if it's about TV movie theater. It's,
1: it's great to have this kind of knowledge. It will do nothing for me in my, in my life.
0: Mine's all just lyrics from songs. There you go. Next question. <laughs>
1: Uh, oh, this one's for me to Stacy. Okay, here's a question for you, Stacey. This one comes from Clint Switzer. And he wants to know, was the Landing Strip an actual strip club in Austin? And also, what are some of the memories you have shooting inside the club, including some of your dancing scenes? He says, I always found it humorous that underage kids like Landry, Julie, and Matt could just come waltzing in the club on a whim.
0: Yeah, the rule seemed a little willy-nilly at the Landing Strip as far as ages go. Definitely a real place called the Landing Strip because it's a stone's throw from the airport in Austin. Free fajita buffet if you are... At the club. It's
1: something just to interject real quick, because I've never seen this in any other part of the country. Texas has what they call legs and eggs in a lot of these places. Legs and eggs. Where you can literally go to a strip club and they also serve like buffet style breakfast. And I don't, I don't understand that. I've never understood like, you know what I want to do today? I'm gonna go stare at some boobies and eat some eggs. That's what I want to do.
0: Listen, gotta, gotta get your protein intake wherever you can. I think they're just looking out for their patrons. Memories of shooting inside the club. Oh, there are some that I don't know if I can get away with telling. But the the background actors were actual dancers who worked at that club and they were so lovely and so helpful to me because I'd never done any kind of dancing like that. So they definitely showed me what it was like and, and what to do. So, okay, I think I'll tell my story now. I'm probably going to tell it again when we get to this episode. So the first, I had done a couple of scenes in the club where I wasn't dancing. You either are a dancer one night or you're a cocktail server. So the first time that I was dancing, dancing, Jeffrey Reiner was directing and I was up on the stage at the pole. And he goes, Stacey, you're a dancer, right? And I was like, yes, I am. I'm a trained dancer. And he goes, okay, so yeah, just get on the pole and do that. And I'm like, no, no. Oh, no, Jeffrey, I, I'm a tap dancer. So if that's what you want me to do, I, I don't know how to do. He's like, just do it. You're a dancer. It's fine. And so I tried I tried the best I could. But I do have this vision in my head of like a tap dancing stripper. And I kind of think that would be brilliant. I love it. But and then she's tapping in that I, I would wear the... um <laughs> They're like stripper heels. They're, they're six-inch heels, but there's also a platform. So I was probably like six three in these things. And then if I put taps at the bottom of them, I think it'd be kind of awesome. I have very fond memories of the Landing Strip. I actually sometimes go back there when I'm in Austin. It just feels kind of like home to me. It was lovely. And there was a tanning bed in the dressing room. I can honestly
1: say, and this is not a lie, that I have never been into the Landing Strip or a strip club in Austin, for that matter, that wasn't part of work. I can't say I've never been to a strip club. But I've never been to a strip club <laughs> in Austin. In Austin. that wasn't part of work.
0: Yeah. I really liked shooting there, actually.
1: It didn't feel any different than shooting in like any other bar that we, we rented out when we, were, when we were down there.
0: Except I wore a lot less clothes.
1: Okay, Stacey, ready for your next question? This one comes from Kelly McKay. And she would like to know, what was it like filming the scenes in the crowd at the games? We see so many of the cast in the crowd, but were you, but were you all there filming at the same time? Did they just shoot you having a bunch of different reactions that they could use across multiple episodes or was it more episode specific? Stacy, what was it like filming the scenes in the crowd at the games?
0: I for a very long time did not have to be in the crowds at the games until I married you and then I had to go be in the crowds a lot. But here's my we had a second AD named Tony and his favorite thing to do if he was shooting like Me and Annie or people that he knew really well, we were doing reaction shots and he'd be like, do you guys, like, do you need to know the play? And we're like, no, just happy or sad. Like, did we, did we do good or did we do bad? And that would be our reaction. We're like, we don't need to know like screens and zones and whatever. That's not going to (laughs) help So we happy or sad. So that was, that was our reactions.
1: I love that that's the direction that you guys got. I'm like, I need to know specifics though. I mean, was this a recovery of a fumble or was this a touchdown or was this the last play of the game? I, I want to say when we started doing the show, we probably had about 2,000 background actors that would show up on these Friday nights. I think people realize pretty quickly that it's not nearly as fun as you think it would be because those nights are long and a lot of times they're very cold, whatever the elements are. But you're out there from... Basically, sun up to sundown on Friday night. So, Friday that bleeds into a Saturday. So, we would start when we started the show, it was probably about 2,000 background actors in the stands. And by the time we were done with the fifth season, I feel like it was about 400. And it was about the same 400 every single week. They mm-hmm. became their own little family. Everybody knew everybody. It got to the point where you recognize most of the background actors. Uh, At least as a cast member, you did.
0: Once the the extras became fewer, like we were saying, they would shoot all of our stuff, like say, Panthers or Lions, whoever we were rooting for. So we'd be in blue or red. then they would we we would be done by then. We would wrap and they would keep background and they would turn around and they'd be on the other side of the stadium wearing different colors. And they would shoot for the other side of the team. And we were done by then.
1: The second part of that question was, did they just shoot you having a bunch of different reactions that they could use across multiple episodes or was it more episode specific and that's that's actually a great question
0: it was definitely episode specific and it had yeah. to be just for continuity for like costumes honestly yeah
1: so every episode if we were shooting something that was a football game that's that specific episode we would have a different director basically for every episode some of those directors repeated episodes but they would bring out that different director and that director would shoot it the way they wanted to shoot it. So yes, 100% episode specific. And it kind of became like a routine where almost every Friday we were shooting football stuff. If there was a, a, a football game in the episode, we were most likely shooting that football game that Friday night.
0: We didn't have lines to memorize. We just sort of got to be there.
1: I will say, I think I've, I've become a coach in the fifth season. And so then I was on the sideline. So when you were in the stands, we would get wrapped out really early. So we would shoot all the main players in the stand, all the main actors in the stands, and we'd shoot them. And we would most likely be wrapped out usually by 10 o'clock at the latest. Still plenty of time for all of us to go to 6th Street or West 6th and, and grab a couple <laughs> drinks, have some margaritas at a, a local Mexican place that was right around the corner. But then when I became a coach, this was the bad part. Like Connie and Stacy and Annie would all wrap out. And they'd be like, see you guys later. <laughs> and as a coach, I had to be there till sometimes three, four in the morning shooting some of those scenes because we couldn't leave because we would be soft in the background for shots. I didn't like that as much, especially because Stacy and all the rest of the ladies would let me know, unfortunately.
0: We would text pictures of us having drinks together. S- Speaking of, I really think really learned- not very nice. <laughs> no, not at all. What were trying to be? I think I learned soft in the BG from Dana. Dana Wheeler Nicholson, who played my mom. She always called it soft in the BG. And she also called it, because she was in the movie Tombstone, she yeah. called it cactus acting, because that's what they called it on Tombstone. And I've taken that into every job I've done. It's like, you're yeah, just doing a little cactus acting.
1: I always call it a glorified extra. Because very rarely did Billy ever have anything to contribute while he was on the sidelines of these games, but he was there.
0: Can I tell you my favorite moment of you in the stands? I was with you. Yeah. Or or was I with Annie or Tyra? I'm not sure. It was when Coach, after Coach and, and Tammy have their baby. And so she's mm-hmm. she, she's in the stands carrying her baby, like shaking and cradling and like this and just walking around. And it was in between takes and we were just like playing around and she was down at, like, I at the I remember this and
1: I don't think it's funny. It's
0: hysterical. She's at the fence and she looks up. You're probably like 10 rows back and she goes, hey, Derek, catch my baby. And she threw her baby at Derek, but she was doing such a good job of pretending that what was actually a doll was her real baby that the entire stand goes, (gasps) it was magic.
1: It freaked me out. And I like tripped going up like three steps because it happened so quickly. And Connie was such a wild card. It
0: was magic. (laughs)
1: But yeah, I went running up the stairs, like tripped, fell, missed the baby and Connie and everyone's laughing <laughs> and I'm like, this isn't this is not funny to me. Like I my heart was racing.
0: Comic uh, gold to the rest of us. Oh, fun times. Glad you
1: guys had a great time at my expense. <laughs>
0: This question is from Bob Marcolini. I have always wondered when a scene calls for a party like at the Taylor's or the McCoy's or maybe Billy and Vindy's wedding, does that also double as a real party for the cast and crew?
1: Oh, man, I wish that was the case. No,
0: no, <laughs> no, not I mean, at all. a lot of these
1: raging, <laughs> awesome parties were just work days.
0: No drinking, not allowed to drink on the job.
1: No, there was no drinking on the job. I mean, that's not to say that we didn't have fun while we were working, but we weren't drinking and partying in these restaurants. And it, I mean, the other thing, too, is like the minute that you get there, there's a location scout that's already kind of come out there or, or location scout find the, finds the place. And then they're prepping the whole entire area for this party. There's an art department that comes in there and has all the props and all the background stuff hanging on the walls. If there's banners or posters or all that stuff. So... It, it doesn't feel like a party atmosphere at all. It very much feels like a set and you are working.
0: When there's that many people, there's a lot of like getting everyone to be quiet and everyone to focus and a lot of like the the first AD or or DP or something hushing everybody so we can actually get the action done. It's those days are those days are work, work.
1: Yeah, they're work, work. I mean, the, the wedding episode specifically, I mean, we'll get to into more detail when we get to that specific episode. But that was one of the longest days we ever had on set on Friday Night Lights. Yep. Because the wedding episode, I feel like it was something like 20 pages. All the wedding stuff was about 20 pages long. And we shot that in one day. Do you remember what it was, Stacy? where we shot? It was like a, um, I can't think of the name of it. What, what do they call those? Uh, like a... Like a moose club kind of thing, or something like Oh, like, a yeah, like an, elk, like an
0: elk lounge or something.
1: Yeah, like an elk den. Or yeah.
0: <laughs> I do remember some of the background actors who were just so dedicated and always ended. And anytime they were rolling, they would be dancing. Like because we were at a wedding mm-hmm. and dancing. And one of the times one of them looked over at And there's no music. No music. They're still so into it. One of them looked over at me one time and was like, Why aren't you and Derek dancing right now? And I was like, Oh God, you guys, the cameras aren't on us. They're over on Minka. We're fine. Yeah. You can you can stand down, but I love the dedication.
1: Yeah, you get really you get to a point after you've been doing this a little while where it's it's not just about I don't want to dance if the camera's not on me. It's also the fact that I've gotta be doing this maybe for the next eighteen hours. I, I made that mistake early on in my career because I was you get on a set and you're like excited to be there and you're jumping around, you're bouncing around. And then 10 hours later, it's like, I wish I hadn't exerted all that energy 12 hours ago. But those are great questions. That's a really great question. And man, I can't wait to talk more about the Billy Mindy wedding episode that we'll talk way more in detail about that episode. It's going to be
0: a two hour episode. (laughs) Okay. For you. Are you ready, Clint?
1: Is this the same Clint?
0: Also, oh, this is one. This is same Clint, I think. A question for you. That was for me. Mm -hmm. This one's for you. What was your relationship like with Taylor Kitsch off screen? Your scenes together were always so intense. So many memorable fights. That's true. And it seemed like your chemistry together was tremendous.
1: I hate that guy.
0: That's what I was going to say. I was like, tell us how terrible he is right now. <laughs> no, I
1: mean, the reality is Taylor, through the course of this show, became one of my best friends. I love him to death. I've, I've often said that I had like my high school buddies and then I had my college buddies and then I've got my Friday Night Lights buddies. And, and uh, he's literally one of my best friends. Been all over the world together with that dummy. I literally texted him this morning. He hasn't texted me back, though. So I'm a little perturbed about that.
0: Sometimes it takes a day or two. This guy. He really is one of my favorite, my favorite, favorite people. He makes me laugh harder than probably a majority of people I've ever met in my life. I It it just
1: got to a point, I think, on this show where, as an actor, you're always having to do this thing called the imaginary if, where you kind of have to imagine what it would be like in this moment, if you and this person, and you don't know the person sometimes. So I'd have to imagine what it would be like to be a brother of this person and, and all that stuff. And it got to the point where by the time we were in like the second or third season of the show, I didn't have to imagine what it would be like if he was just my brother, you know what I mean? And it felt that way. There was a scene later in, I think it's the fourth season where he basically says he's going to take the rap for me. And it, there was no preparation for that scene at all. Just the idea that Taylor would do that. It just made me cry immediately. And I mean, like snot bubble cry. There was no like, I didn't have to prep for it. And on a lot of things, you would have to prepare yourself for a scene like that. But it just, it really just felt like two brothers. And and I consider him to be a, a brother. He's, as I said, he's one of my best friends. So yeah, I can't stand him. He's a pain in the ass. <laughs>
0: yep, terrible, hate him. One last one from John Hannon. Why does the show use fake universities for plots like TMU? There are a few references later in the series to real universities, like when Smash says he's going to commit to Alabama in season two, I think. But how come when a university is more heavily involved in the plot, why does it have to be fake?
1: Here's the deal. When it comes to stuff like that, for instance, like you can wear, people are always like, oh, you can't wear logos. You can wear logos. You can't wear logos and have them be like presented in a negative way. And so part of the deal is when you're shooting a TV show, you can say stuff like, oh, Smash might be going to Alabama because they're not talking about Alabama in any way. They're not saying anything positive about Alabama. They're not saying anything negative about Alabama. They're not saying anything negative or positive about University of Texas. But when Coach winds up getting a job at TMU, which is a fake university, now we're going to start having a coach that we may not like, we may not get along with, and that it becomes a legal thing basically at the end of the day. To get a university to sign off sight unseen on scripts that aren't, aren't written yet would be very difficult. And it also puts the producers in a, in a really difficult situation because it's like, okay, there's a storyline we want to tell, but it would require us painting the coach of TMU in a bad light. And if TMU was a real university, they're going to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't present one of our coaches in a bad light. And so it it, it basically hamstrings the uh, writers if the writers don't have the ability to write what they want to write.
0: I am an avid lover and watcher of Law & Order Special Victims Unit. And they have a university that they use called Hudson University that they're saying is in Manhattan doesn't exist, but it's where a lot of sexual assaults and rapes happen, <laughs> probably like hundreds. And somebody wrote a tweet one time that was like, why would anyone ever want to go to Hudson University? Assaults happen there every day. And I'm like, oh yeah, it sounds kind of awful. I
1: worked on a show called Longmire, I did about 14 episodes on it. But like Longmire is this teeny, teeny little town in Wyoming there's like, I don't know, there's like a death every other week. And, and I'm like, dude, what is going on in this town? There is a murder like every other day in this town. Why would anyone want to move to Absaroka County, you know?
0: You're kind of like a um, murder she wrote too. Like a lot of murders happen around this yeah. one person. Maybe we should be looking at that one person. Angela Lansbury, I'm looking at you. I think that is it for our third audience interaction episode. We want to keep it going. I actually super, I really love doing these episodes. I want to know what you guys want to know. Send us all of your questions. Our email address is Pod at gmail.com.
1: And join us next time when we talk about episode 13 of Friday Night Lights titled Little Girl, I Want to Marry You with special guest Liz Michael who played Karina Williams, aka Mama Smash. We're all excited about that. She's literally one of my favorite characters on the show. But until then, Clear
0: Eyes. Full Hearts. Can't lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions.
1: Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions.
0: Our producer is Miranda Parham.
1: Send your questions to cleareyesfullheartspod at gmail.com.
0: Find us on social media. I'm Stacey Oristano on Twitter and Instagram.
1: And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram.
0: And check out our websites, cleareyesfullheartspod.com, cadence13.com, and blackbarrelmedia.com.
1: Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.